in the story of the Fisher King, the king, well before he's the king, just when he's doing some of his night work as a younger adolescent, he's wandering around and he gets lost in a forest. He's confused and he's not sure what to do and he doesn't know how to get out of that forest. And as luck would have it, he happens upon a fire and in that fire there's a there's a salmon roasting and he sort of can't believe his luck. He's looking at this salmon and, you know, he's so hungry. So he reaches in and, and grabs the salmon right off the fire and he burns his fingers and it hurts so much that just reactively he he puts his finger in his mouth just to just to calm the pain. And it's said that in that moment a little bit of fish, a little bit of the salmon gets stuck inside his mouth. And it hurts so much, but he can't take it out. He can't get the fish out. And he becomes wounded in this moment. And whenever a king is wounded in in these old stories, it means the entire land starts to go into disrepair everywhere. You know, the crops stop yielding and um and the, the winters get a little longer and the summer's shorter and and the good times are uh feel like they're behind they're in the world before and things get very dark and and depressive and it's a it's a terrible state of affairs. And there's a prophecy and the prophecy says that there'll be a fool one day who will enter the castle and who will see the Fisher King in his misery and in his pain and he'll see what's going on and he'll ask a question. And in that question, the Fisher King will be healed and order will be restored to the kingdom. Meanwhile, a young boy named Parsifal the Fool is, is at home and, uh, and he's lost his father. He's lost his father to, to a mighty battle. His father was a knight and he died at war. And his mother is very protective of Parsifal. And, uh, and one day, Parsifal sees a red knight. And he's never seen anything like it before. His mother's been keeping all, all ideas of knights and adventure and, you know, all that stuff away from him. But he sees this knight and he's so blown away by what he sees, he can't, he can't get it out of his head. He comes back and he tells his mum he's so excited and his mum does not share this excitement with him. She's not too excited about the thing that he's seen at all, in fact. And, um, but he can't stop talking about it anyway and he just goes on and on about this knight and he's like, I want to become a knight. And his mother at that point realises that the calling is there, that no matter how much she tried to protect him, from this calling. It was all to no avail. He was always going to find this. It was, it was that strong, that, that much part of his soul. And so she says to him before he goes off on his adventure, she says, okay, you can go, you know, like I, I give you my blessing, but just a word of advice out there, just don't ask too many questions. And she gives him, she gives him a, a little fleece kind of armor to put on as well. And he wears that and he goes off and he, he remembers in his mind, don't ask too many questions. Now, all sorts of things happen between that point and the next point. 
all sorts of adventures and all sorts of tests of strength and tests of his courage and all all sorts of things that that bring him from a, a young boy into into uh, closer and closer to being a man and being a knight. And one of these days, just by chance, he he stumbles upon the Fisher King's castle, and he walks in, and he walks into the the big courtyard, and he sees this very interesting thing happen. He sees a, a wounded and sick king lying pale and distraught. And he sees these servants taking this grail from one side of the courtyard to the other, from one side to the other, like back and forth, back and forth. And everybody seems to be able to partake of this grail except for the king. For the king has lost all sense of joy and all sense of purpose. And the fool thinks to himself a question. The question he thinks to himself is, whom does the grail serve? And he thinks in another version of this myth, he thinks to ask the fisher king, what ails thee? But he does not ask the question because he has in his mind the thoughts from his mother who told him to not ask too many questions. And in that moment, everybody was waiting with bated breath, they saw him come in, they saw this fall, and they were like, oh my God, after all of these years, all of these many, many moons, he's finally arrived. But rather anticlimactically, he does not ask the question, and then he's escorted back out, and he leaves that kingdom, and takes him many, many, many more years before he can find the kingdom again. Welcome to On the Soul's Terms, a podcast exploring psychology, astrology, and mythology. I tell this story to welcome you to the new podcast, On the Soul's Terms, with me, Chris Skidmore. This was formerly a podcast called Tending the Sunfire, in which Alexandre and myself were telling stories and poems and, and all sorts of things and discussing the ins and outs of, of old tales and old wives' tales and Greek mythology and, you know, tales from around the world. And um, we came to a crossroads, which is discussed in the previous episode called Crossroads. And um, Alexandre felt that he's, he felt complete in his engagement in the podcast. And um, that has now given birth to, on the soul's terms, this podcast. So I welcome you and thank you for listening in. This is a, uh, an introduction or perhaps a reintroduction. And um, I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you about what's coming up and, and what to expect in this new format. So yeah, the, the story that I tell uh, has been just coming and cycling through my mind recently in light of, you know, I'm always looking for a story that, uh, that has something to do with our present predicament and what's going on in the world. And, you know, I like this story because in, in, uh, in the backdrop of the story, everything feels chaotic and, and uh, in, in this sort of sense of disrepair. 
Um, and the, there's a wounded king, this fish king, who's been wounded by reaching in and, and taking that fish. And the fish is too hot and he's not ready to take it. And, he, and it goes, puts his finger in his mouth and now, now that is stuck there. And uh, it's an interesting story on a few different levels. I feel the, uh, the, the presence of the wounded king in the collective right now in that sense of like, where are we going and, and why are we going there? And what can be done about all of the, all of the crises of the world that are all coming together all at once? And um, a lot of people feeling, feeling anxiety and stress and, and depression and, and not sure what it all means, you know, a lot of, a lot of nihilism in the world. And, um, and that sense that, that everything feels a little meaningless and, you know, a myth like this helps us to sort of put that in, in a context of like, yeah, these, these times they happen and we just happen to be living through one, all of us that are alive right now and fortunate to be alive in this, in this transition moment, in a moment that, uh, yeah, we're moving from something to something else. And I also think the fish is a, is an interesting symbol there astrologically if you look at the the ages the age of pisces began around about the turning point of of two millennia ago so the zero point you know the the point that we still have as our as our calendar marker which we say is the birth of christ and and christ also being a a kind of a piscean figure in uh you know his symbol of the fish and his, uh, he, him being connected to fish and the fishermen of men and all these sorts of things. And then this, this myth comes up in the 12th century and uh, seems to be a, a bit of a continuation. The Holy Grail is said to, you know, is, is perhaps said to be the Grail from the Last Supper, that connection to our divinity and part of the ancient mysteries. Um, so it's interesting to have that come up sort of halfway through the age of Pisces. And now we're in this, this strange predicament of, a, of coming to the end of that age and coming towards the beginning of something different. You know, we all sort of perhaps have ringing in our ears the, the song, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And perhaps, perhaps that was the dawning or the, or the very beginning of that time. And, um, you know, we're starting to see what that might mean. And I think a lot of people are, are interested in what the new mythology might be or, you know, what, what, what do we do about this religious impulse and, and where, where does religion fit in the world today? What can guide us forward? These are questions on my mind for sure. And I also like in this story that, uh, that there's sent this sense of the full might be able to help us with this. The fool might be able to ask a few questions, ask a few poignant questions at the right moment, at the right time. And um, alternatively, the fool might forget, either forget to ask questions or think that he's not allowed to ask questions or you know, that it's not appropriate to ask questions in these circumstances or whatever it might be. So I bring it up as a, as a personal myth as well, as a collective myth and and my hope with On the Soul's Terms is to begin to ask some questions. And that's why one of the things I'll be doing on the podcast now is I'll be interviewing guests and um, 
I've in fact already interviewed a few people and I'm really enjoying getting these new voices and a few people that I've been really wanting to to chat with, getting them on the show and getting a bit of a few more perspectives into the mix. So I'm really enjoying that and um, I've got lots of people lined up to come on to the show, some of them colleagues and friends and some of them will be, will be doing it much like Alexandra and I, and I did it where uh, they'll bring a story and we'll, we'll chat about that story and we'll do it much like we did in Tending the Sunfire. And some will be people that I don't know that well personally and, and they'll come on to the show and we'll have a chat about you know, their perspective. But, but generally the people that I'm looking for are the people that are, the, and the people that I'll bring on here uh, people that will give a bit of a different angle, different than what we might ask, different than the perspectives that we normally get, which is still a lot of sort of rational materialism is, is still very much the flavor of the day. So we're going to be bringing in something a little different than that, a little bit more of the mysticism, the stories. I'll be bringing on the head of the Young Society of uh, New South Wales. He'll be coming on. The head of Metavision, where I studied Christina Nielsen, she'll be coming on. And we'll just be getting the, the sense of like people that have, that have gone on a journey to find the old knowledge that we might have forgotten. And I think about that also in the Fisher King story. There might be, you know, the fish in some ways is a symbol. It, it links us back to our time when we could breathe underwater. And you can either see that as a, in our personal journey when we, we were in the womb when we were breathing underwater in the womb, in our, which all of us have done, or in our more collective evolutionary journey where we were creatures of the sea before we made that fateful trip out from the sea and into the land. And so to have the, particularly the fish as the wound, to me is representative of, like, of, this, of this perhaps forgotten knowing, perhaps a forgotten unity that we all sort of have still in our bones. We, we all, on some level, have to have some kind of a way to relate to that, whether we're interested in mysticism or not, or what, you know, whatever our way is. It's something Jung said about that um, the religious function is there in human beings. The religious function is there. So if they don't have a religion to put that function into, then they'll find all sorts of things to make religions out of because yeah there's just there's just part of our collective psyche that remembers the wholeness and the unity and you know there's the experience that we've separated from that and perhaps that's also in the fisher king his separation from that and and um and sort of lost he's lost in the forest when it when all of this happens right so he's he's sort of lost his way and that would be my my feeling about humanity it's easy to see how we've lost our way. We, we are destroying this planet that is us somehow. And that's, a, that's sort of a terrifying level of dissociation that we're under as a collective. And there's all sorts of solutions on the table about how we can manage that and um, how we might be able to use technology. And, you know, if we can't use technology, if that doesn't work, we could always go elsewhere, like uh, maybe we set up on Mars or, you know, set up some space colony or whatever it is. And, and all of that just feels like, yeah, I mean, I'm all for using technology where we can, but ultimately 
the sense that I get is that we have to remember this Fisher King wound. We have to remember our, I mean, it, it sounds sort of cliche to say our unity consciousness. Uh, that sounds a bit like a cliche, but but there is something in that, that, that we're actually all in this together. Again, another cliche, but I'm going to use it anyway. They were all in this together and um, not just as a theoretical thing, but but we've got a felt experience of coming from the same place, all of us together. And in a time where there's so much polarization and, and so much this against that and me against you and us against them and that sort of thing just, just exploding. I mean, this has been, maybe it's always been part of the human experience, but um, but certainly it's been amplified by by social media and, and different different elements that that just divide us even more. And so, you know, my sense is like looking forward is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's also important, but we also have to look back. So what have we lost and what have we missed and what might still be there for us to recover and to bring back into our lives and to, and to at the very least bring into discussion here on the podcast with my guests. And, um, and one of those things that we might've, we might've lost that, that I feel coming back into the collective consciousness in, on at least some level is astrology. And astrology is something that I have spent a large part of my adult life studying and, and getting deeply involved in and, and interested in and working as an astrologer now in Bali. So where might astrology fit into this? Well, to me, astrology is a, is, um, a way to go back to these old these old gods, you know, astrology is a, is ultimately a, a polytheistic tradition in that within it is the planets and the planets are named after the old Roman gods and the Roman gods are named after the old Greek gods. And so at the very least, it's a place where we can ponder that more polytheistic approach, which to me is the, is the language of nature. So when I say gods and goddesses, it's not, you know, I think these words have been perhaps misunderstood in our modern day. But gods and goddesses are, are, at least in the old Greek tradition that I've been reading a lot on recently, they're, they're strands of human experience. So when I say Aphrodite, say, who's Venus in the Roman, yeah, there's a goddess and I can picture the goddess and there's a birth story and there's her whole sort of journey into who she's become and she's got a complete attitude and a, um, a way of being in the world and, and a very distinct taste and style. And she's all about beauty and passion and pleasure and desire and all of these things. So I can say, oh, that's a, that's a goddess. And I, I'm just approaching that. But of course, it's also an internal experience that all of us have that Aphrodite side that is interested in pleasure and, and enjoyment and desire and sensuality and all of these things. So in some ways, it's a it's a looking outside, but also looking inside. So I can see Venusian things in the world, things things that are of beauty, or, or Venusian people that have that that desire as the as a strong suit in their life. And I can see that part of me, and I can I can address that part of me. And each of the planets is representative of one of those parts inside of my soul. And astrology, which is a bit of a leap for the modern mind to get there. But once you do get there, you see that these, these representations, they're a really beautiful way of um, reflecting on the self, 
reflecting on me and my relationship to the others in my life and my relationship to the earth and the planet, my relationship to who I'm to be in this life and all, all sorts of different things that are a combination of those different planetary energies all coming together and creating this this person that is me or you, as it were, for you, the listener. And that's what astrology is in a sense, but it's also much, much more than that. So there's some of it that's on the personal level, like me and who I am is in that chart, but there's also the collective level. And you can follow along the movements of the stars, the movements of the planets, and they can just give you little glimpses of the flavor of the day, right? Like, so for instance, a new moon, can you give just give you a little hint as to what that next month has in store for you or even things to meditate on and, and take into account for that month? So another thing I'll be doing on the, on the show is I'll be bringing some astrology, bringing a little bit of um, what's happening in the sky right now. Uh, the longer term things like the outer planets take a really long time. For instance, Pluto, which is okay, dwarf planet these days, but still equally powerful. Pluto takes 248 years approximately to go around the sun, to orbit the sun. So that's a really, really long time, right? So we, so it's going to be in a sign for you know somewhere between 20 and 30 years often, although it has an elliptical orbit, so it rushes through some places. But it takes a long time to go through. So some, some of the themes that we can talk about is like, what's it like to have Pluto in Capricorn since 2008? And, and just some episodes, just thinking about that and maybe bringing forward some stories about that and, and helping us to think about what that all means. And, and some are much faster, you know, obviously the fastest is the moon is just taking a couple of days to go through each sign. And so that's the whole spectrum of, of, we'll be able to look at some of the longer term trends, but also look at some of the moon cycle stuff. And yeah, I'll be focusing on the myths as always. So I'll be bringing in looking at the astrology, but they're also bringing in what myths they're bringing to my mind. And that's how we'll be working with that. And speaking of mythology, there'll be plenty of that. So I'll be doing a few, I'll be doing episodes where it's just a story, just like what Alexander and I were doing, telling a story, talking about the story, feeling where it touches us and, and what that story is all about and what's, what the hidden wisdom might be. Many of these stories I find to be just infinite infinite wells of wisdom that you can go back to again and again and again. So I cannot promise ever, well, I can promise that I will not ever get to the bottom of a story or complete it or end it or, you know, find a way to, to analyze it to death, basically. Nothing like that will happen on the show. Rather, we'll be telling a story and, and almost kind of you and me as the listener and me as, um, Tyson Yankaporta says us two, because we don't have that in the English language, a dual first person. So us two, we'll be thinking about these stories and, and, uh, and taking them in and trying them on and wearing them and going out of the house with them and seeing what they have in store for us. These odd stories really are storehouses of wisdom and I hope to do them, do them some credit. I hope to be in service to these stories and the wisdom that they hold. Alongside the, the Greek myths that I'll be bringing in, obviously some Grimm Brothers stories 
and um, and other stories that may just come through. So we'll be doing that. We'll be doing some astrology. We'll be doing some interviews. And um, I'm really excited. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, there'll be, a, there'll be an episode coming out very soon, within the next few days or maybe week, a week. And it'll be my first interview. And um, from there, we'll be, we'll be up and racing. So thanks for listening. I think I covered everything. I, I think uh, that many of these, especially the monologues, I, I was thinking about it as, a, as a, like the Parsifal sessions, you know, like, like getting in touch with the full, the zero of the, of the tarot and wandering along and, and seeing where we might ourselves get, uh, get a little lost in the forest and a little found as well. All right. Thanks for listening and, uh, and see you soon. Thanks for listening to On the Soul's Terms. Find us online at onthesoulsterms.com and on Instagram at onthesoulsterms. This podcast is produced in Vancouver, British Columbia, which we would like to acknowledge is on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam. Tune in next time for more of the wisdom of stories, approaching what the ancients knew on the soul's terms.